Welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Thank you for listening this Wednesday, March 31st, 2021. Topics on today's episode include a look at mortgage rates over the last year, my interview with Stratmore Group's Garth Graham, and the latest FHA news. What word becomes shorter when you add two letters to it? Short. That's the cutting-edge wit this commentary is known for. Time can play tricks on us. Did you know that the fabled Studio 54 in Manhattan was only open from 1977 to 1980? Did you know that today is the end of the first quarter? Already? Did you know Freddie Mac 30-year fixed-rate mortgages started 2020 at 3.72%, just 40 basis points above its all-time low, but plunged to 2.65% by the start of 21? Now they're back up between 3 and an eighth and 3 and a quarter. Freddie's volume in February was over 75% refinances. Certainly, purchased-focused lenders are thumping their chests, and hiring managers, regardless of company, are taking a hard look at the book of business of any MLO under consideration. Might this person's business dissipate? Will this person's business impact the fanny 7% constriction on the company's business? The agency-related changes will no doubt push product towards FHA, non-QM, and private capital-backed programs. Today's podcast is presented by Stratmore Group. Stratmore Group is a leading mortgage industry advisory firm that provides a range of advisory services and programs designed to counsel lender CEOs and senior executives. Stratmore serves more than 250 companies annually, providing solutions that increase growth and improve profitability in sales, marketing, technology, operations, and mergers and acquisitions. Find out more about Stratmore on its website at stratmoregroup.com. Let's talk about some FHA news. Throughout much lending history, the conventional product was more economical for borrowers than FHA, primarily due to insurance. But as lenders face higher G fees, an adverse market fee, caps in selling whole loans to Fannie and Freddie, loan level price adjustment hits, and Fannie's recent announcement that the 7% constraint on acquisitions of non-owner occupied and second homes, lenders are naturally looking at their options. The major option is, of course, the FHA program. There is no impending increase in FHA mortgage insurance premiums. The bad news? There is no impending decrease in them either. Department of Housing and Urban Development, aka HUD, Secretary Marsha Fudge stated, given the current FHA delinquency crisis and our duty to manage risks and the overall health of the mutual mortgage insurance fund, we have no near-term plans to change FHA's mortgage insurance premium pricing. Of course, the private mortgage insurance companies cheered the lack of a decrease, Remember in January when the experts were chattering about an insurance rate cut? Idle headline grabbing gossip, as it turned out, and calmer heads have prevailed. For example, MBA president and CEO Bob Brokesmith said, The MBA commends Secretary Fudge for maintaining FHA's current mortgage insurance premium pricing until we have a clearer picture of the long-term impact of the pandemic on FHA borrowers and the insurance fund. I wanted to bring back on Garth Graham. Since you've come on on February 3rd, a lot has changed in the industry. One of the things I wanted to talk to you about was selling now versus selling later for independent mortgage bankers. Can you talk about how that's changed and some considerations that go into when to sell? Yeah, well, I I remember, by the way, being here, uh, second uh, guest ever. Um, And I also realized that you have now followed me uh, I'm following your father again by a couple days. He was just on a couple days ago. And he actually said that he was the warm-up band for me, like 
as if I was Aerosmith. That's his direct quote. And I'm offended by being referred to as Aerosmith. I'm definitely in the Springsteen category. So I just want the record to reflect. If uh, your dad's going to have to warm up for me, uh, be the warm-up band, it sure as hell's not going to be Aerosmith. So I just wanted to you know, set the record straight. You have set the record straight. My question there for you is, do the Beatles <laughs> make it into the top five rock and roll bands of all time? Yes or no for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. See, some people are against it. Some people don't like it, just like some people don't like Springsteen. But now yeah. the now the general mortgage public knows where you stand. So <laughs> that's good. Um, yeah. So by the way, also on February 3rd, which gosh, that just seems like ages ago. Hell, it was two whole months ago. And two whole months ago, I warned that at some point margins would drop, uh, interest rates were going to go up, refinances were going to plummet. Um, I sort of warned everybody that, you know, one of the amazing stats in, in the last 10 years, we have never had a market where there has not been at least a 20 point, 20% adjustment year over year in refinance, meaning that it's always a, um, a hard landing or a sharp in, uh, increase. And uh, I sort of warned, you know, we're coming up on it at some point. I didn't know when. If I did, I would have done like your father and been a trader back in the day. But um, it's come. And we certainly are seeing a bump up in interest rates. We're seeing a big fallback in refinance volume. We're seeing margin compression for sure as people fight to maintain market share in a declining market. It hasn't fully hit for sure. And it hasn't fully hit because people still have big pipelines. So they're still feasting off what they did in February and March. Um, but it's certainly coming and we're coming into that period. Um, the impact on the industry is that those lenders who probably could have sold at a very good price in 2020, if they're indeed considering you know, an M&A transaction, are likely facing some headwinds in 2021. It's still a very hot M&A market. Um, in fact, 2018 was a hotter M&A market than 2019 or 2020. So really, usually when this happens, there's some consolidation in the industry and the M&A uh, pace is picking up for sure. I've always heard it was a better time to sell when you can rather than sell when you have to. So maybe that adage holds true in the mortgage industry as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the I think the big one is like I said, the biggest year we've had in M and A has been 2018. 2019 was a drop. 2020, uh, there were really only about 15 deals last year. Um, there were 30 deals in 2018, and there's likely to be, you know, definitely. I think between now and the end of the year, we'll probably hit 30 again this year. So, it, it usually mortgage lenders kind of sell um, when the market starts to turn down. And some of that, you know, maybe saying, okay, that's bad timing, but it's also, you could say that the, the buyers who are entering the market have a very different economic assumption on the value of the mortgage company they're buying. And the reason is they don't need to add um, a lot of fixed expenses to take on another billion or $2 billion in volume. Um, so for them, it's it becomes very accretive to their bottom line, much more accretive than it is to the seller's bottom line, because the seller's still carrying all that type of fixed expense. So at some point, the numbers, you know, it does make sense for both sides, and you know, premiums are still being paid. It's just a question of trying to, you know, do it probably sooner than later if we can. One thing that seems to separate successful mortgage banks from less successful ones are those fixed versus variable expenses. Yep. Can you opine a little bit on what you're seeing from the very successful companies in that regard versus companies that aren't doing as well, especially as we go into this part of the market cycle? Yeah. So if you kind of look at, 
you know, where the money goes in the mortgage industry. And I'm going to give you some really simplified numbers, but roughly $3,000 is up in, is in sales expense per unit. And roughly $2,000 is in fulfillment expense per unit. And a lot of that cost is what you would sort of typically say is variable, especially on the sales side, meaning you're only paying it if you have the units, you know, to support it. It's mostly a variable cost. But some of it, and, and being very good at understanding what elements, some of it is fixed expenses, leases. Um, at some point, you need, you know, one manager for 10 people. So, you, you know, if you start cutting staff, you can't cut managers one-to-one. You cut managers, let's say, maybe, you know, one-to-ten. So there's a lag in that type of expense. Um, certainly, sometimes the technology expenses can have some fixed components. So that gets you to, you know, a big portion of that roughly $7,000 alone. A big portion of that is variable, some of which is fixed. fixed. The best lenders know the difference. Then you get into the rest of it. And the rest of it is stuff that really is more fixed, especially in the context of, you know, an M&A type transaction. And that is the support expenses um, and then the corporate level expenses. So, you know, capital markets, QC, compliance, IT, a lot of that is, you know, more of a fixed expenses. You can't ramp it down and you can't ramp it up very fast. So when volume drops, suddenly that unit cost goes way up. And that's really where when you look at like periods like 2018, where suddenly the cost per unit went up to 10 grand, a lot of it was the dramatic increase in the fixed costs divided by the smaller number of units. And where it went down was exactly the same. You know, the the fixed costs have stayed the same and now the units have doubled. So your fixed costs on a unit basis or half is what they used to be. So it's really knowing what those numbers are for each individual lender. That's a key part of, you know, at least how we try to help people understand the opportunities. How is it different in a purchase market versus a refi one as we move away from a refi one? Yeah, you know, the statistic, by the way, over the last 10 years, we've never had a year where refinances have not adjusted on a unit basis by at least 20%. Over that same period of time, 10 years, we've never had a year where purchase has adjusted by more than 10%. So bottom line is the purchase is very predictable. The refinance is where all the fluctuations are. The big thing that happens in lenders' P&Ls is the purchases are harder. Everybody knows that. It's harder to get the loans done. You got to talk to the realtor. You can't move the closing date. So suddenly your staffing model has a lot less of these flexible units, meaning, heck, I can put the refis out a week if I have to. You can't do that with purchase. So you have to keep more staff than you would if it was all refinance volume. So that impacts you and you need to model that. The other element is if you end up doing like marketing campaigns or your loan officer suddenly turn around and hit the streets and start getting referrals, the first wave of opportunities they get are often pre-approved borrowers, meaning those that have not even, that are just starting the home cycle. And right now we have this wacky thing, especially in some markets where there's not enough inventory. So you suddenly are replacing the easy to close refis with the hard to close purchase. And oh, by the way, the purchases, if they're pre-approvals, that first wave of volume is stuff that's not gonna close in 60 and 90 days because it takes so damn long for the borrower to find the property, i.e. the inventory challenge. 
So you can get these, you know, if you think of it like the snake, you could, you're trying to get the, you know, the mouse through the snake, if that's a rather nasty visual. But um, it, you know, it just gets clogged because the they've not been able to find the purchase transaction. So you're just sitting on this big pipeline of, of pre-approvals waiting for some of it to start pulling through. So that's probably, you know, lenders who focused on purchase and have been steady at it will ride this out because they have... 2020s pre-approvals that can become 2021s closings. The lenders who suddenly try to do the quick pivot and really got away from purchase in the previous quarters are the ones that are going to have a really rough quarter when suddenly they start ramping up purchases and there's not enough inventory for those purchasers to even find a home. In a changing rate environment, when we're seeing the composition of the market shift like that, what are some ways these lenders can financially benchmark themselves so that they, they know they're doing all right as they move through a complete market cycle? Well, the biggest thing, and we sort of were talked to, to a lot of lenders last year about this, is um, you need all of the examples I gave you, you know, I, I, at some point they're theoretical until they're practical to you. And what I mean by that is you need to know exactly what your pipeline looks like, your model looks like, how you're going to make changes in your business based on what's going to happen. The best lenders made those plans. In other words, they're already waiting on the doomsday scenario and they already knew the first thing that they were going to do when the market started to turn and they're beginning to execute it. So they'll do things like let's curtail overtime immediately. Let's have a, you know, we have these scorecards on every employee on who contributes the most, or we know who is the, you know, high quality employees. Let's focus on keeping them and perhaps beginning to shed some others. So they already had plans in place. It's not that it's too late, but you need to be pretty thoughtful pretty quickly about how you're going to handle it because it's going to be, you know, a dramatic impact on refinance units and there's going to be a resulting impact on margins and those margins as they drop, you know, are going to put pressure on profitability too. Thank you very much for clarifying that. Well, thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast and talk to me. No problem, Robbie. I appreciate the opportunity. It was a uh, Aerosmith-esque performance, if I do say so myself. Or uh, you know, it's it's actually much more of a Born to Run style yeah, performance. Oh yeah, yeah. I forgot. After all, this is the land of hope and dreams. I mean, and you did you did drone on for about as long as Backstreets is of his. <laughs> That's a good one. Thanks, Garth. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Bye. Rates. Up, down, and all around. We had a nice little rally improvement in agency MBS prices yesterday, ahead of today's month-end and quarter-end session. It helps to step back and look at multi-week trends to gain a sense of perspective. Economic data last week was mixed, as severe weather, business reopenings, and the fiscal stimulus all influenced numbers. The expiration of benefits from the Coronavirus Response and Relief Supplemental Appropriations Act of 2021 was responsible for most of February's 7.1% decline in nominal personal income, just as its enactment was responsible for January's 10.1% gain. Actual wages and salaries were unchanged in February. The personal savings rate, which averaged 7.3% over the 10 years preceding COVID, remained elevated at 13.6%. Over the last year, the personal savings rate averaged 17.5%. Think of all that cash potential homebuyers have. Increased savings along with business reopenings and looser social mitigation restrictions have some economists worried about a spike in inflation as consumers reemerge in force this spring. The Fed is confident, for now, 
that any upcoming spike in inflation will be temporary and primarily the result of lower baseline data from one year ago and has pledged to keep monetary policy unchanged over the near term. That has not stopped mortgage rates from rising nearly 70 basis points above January's lows. Mortgage purchase applications continue to increase as we head into home buying season and were 8.7% higher than a year ago for the week ending March 19th. Looking at yesterday's fixed income markets, agency MBS prices improved despite the conference board's consumer confidence index jumping in March to its highest level in a year on improved expectations for further recovery. Markets also received a couple housing indicators, with the FHFA housing price index rising 1% in January and the S&P Case-Shiller 20-City Home Price Index rising 11.1% year-over-year. Today's economic calendar is already underway, and we've seen that mortgage applications decreased 2.2% from one week earlier, according to data from the Mortgage Bankers Association's weekly mortgage application survey for the week ending March 26th. Later this morning brings ADP employment, Chicago PMI for March, and February pending home sales. The loan-scheduled Fed speaker is Atlanta's Bostitch. The desk will conduct two MBS purchase operations targeting up to $5.3 billion at 2% and 2.5% coupons across $2 billion of Gini 2s and $3.3 billion of UMBS 30s. We start hump day with agency MBS prices roughly unchanged and the 10-year yielding 1.71 after closing yesterday at 1.73%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. Before I got into capital markets, I used to sell security alarms door-to-door. I was really good at it. If no one were home, I'd just leave a brochure on their kitchen table. (laughs) Thanks again to our sponsor, Stratmore Group, the trusted mortgage advisory with advisors who guide lenders to make smart strategic decisions, solve complex challenges, improve the borrower experience, increase profitability, and accelerate growth. Be sure to check out the Stratmore website at stratmoregroup.com. If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at Robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.